Welcome to the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. I'm on today with Gold Guy. He is from Twitter. We're going to talk about talking to family members about the ideas of liberty. How do you do without sounding crazy? How do you push back on state propaganda they've heard their whole lives? And how do you say, you know what, maybe this government shouldn't exist to your grandpa? <laughs> how do you how do you say these things? And Gold Guy, he has had some luck converting some family members. Who was it you got? You got your sister and your mom it was? Or who was it? Uh, yeah, my uh, sister basically used to be a radical leftist. Uh, so I gradually brought her more to the center, then in a more generally libertarian direction, all the way to a narco-capitalist like me. Based. <laughs> <laughs> so how did how'd you, how'd you go about that exactly? Like, what was the big selling point? What, 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 was the, what was the grabbing line that really, like, took her from the hardcore lefty to maybe all these things aren't good and maybe we should be a little bit more freedom. Uh, it was a gradual process. Mm -hmm. uh, I started off quite wrong because uh, I'd just gotten into uh, Ayn Rand and objectivism. Ooh. So yeah, I, I went at a really, really harsh, which did not help things. Yeah, uh, I, I think we've all been there. Anyone who's read Ayn Rand hears these ideas and is like, oh, wow, maybe being selfless is a great thing. And then you try to articulate it to people and you just, you can't because you're nowhere near as good as he was. And you just yeah. sound like a crazy asshole. Yes. Oh. Uh, I mean, it didn't help that I was an asshole, but <laughs> um, I basically calmed down a bit later on and... Uh, I realized that a lot of uh, her views were built on a lot of anger and resentment mm -hmm. because uh, we were both going through some pretty serious issues at that point. So it was definitely the wrong approach to just assault her with, you are the sole person responsible for your life and it is utterly immoral to want to take anything from anyone else. Yeah, it, it kind of had the opposite effect because then she went over to... Uh, because she kind of defined her own positions in uh, contradiction to mine because it was uh, convenient mm. because I was just being an asshole. Uh, so I had to mature a bit. Uh, I eventually basically separated from pure Randian objectivism mm. and went into a more holistic general libertarian approach. So I decided to try to introduce it more gradually to my sister, like, mm. like the issue of free speech. Mm. Uh, that was a big initial selling point uh, because she'd go on about how people shouldn't be offensive and they shouldn't offend others. Mm. Um, so my, uh, my way in was to say, well, okay, but what if someone by whatever definition, thinks that something that you say is offensive, mm -hmm. that that could be a problem. Do, do you want them to push you out of society and try to get to sick of the government on you? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, and as I start to be more diplomatic, that helped me get in. Mm. Um, that think. is the entirely different approach than when I took. I was in a uh, college class and they asked us to do a... Uh, discussing posts on free speech on college campus and I, I i looked through all of it everyone was saying basically a hardcore lefty saying about we shouldn't offend people and 
this is about this is the time when I was full blown like an Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand kind of person. And so I went into a discussive post and said, Who are all you selfish pieces of shit that tell me what I can't heal? Hmm. Uh, it didn't go over well. Uh, I had fun with it, but it was uh, one of the more undiplomatic things I could have been, I should have done. I should have really prefaced it and tried to actually convince people not to insult them. Yeah, uh, been there, done that. Uh, and it also, um, with my sister specifically, economics then kind mm. of played a role in it uh, because she was on about redistributism and mm. uh, how keeping what you earn when other people don't have enough is selfish. Um, so I uh, worked into that with a moral and practical approach mm. without uh, you know with the end goal of getting her to realize that the moral and the practical are actually the same mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for one I laid down the basic concept of rational self-interest and how that drives innovation profit creation mm-hmm. uh, and how uh, capitalism encourages people to serve their fellow man to provide a good, proper, safe service in return for money, and how that means that they will want to benefit other people for their own benefit. Good move. So yeah, I've only look I've had on with uh, my family is like the only look I've had convincing people is uh, there's a great it's a Mencken quote or Mencken how you say his name about people don't want freedom they want security. And given that that's so true for so many people, the only look, the only look I've had is showing them how dangerous the government actually is to people, how dangerous the cops are, the laws are, the partisans, the wars. Like these pose actual threats. And so that's how I've ever made um, progress with people is showing, hey, what's, what's more dangerous? You know, having yourself and your neighbors responsible for your safety or having uh, some models of government a couple of miles away deciding things for you. They don't really know your name. Yeah, uh, that definitely helps. The (laughs) decentralization argument actually Mm -hmm. is very important. Yeah. Um, Which was, uh, I wouldn't call this a Trojan horse. That would, uh, (laughs) that sounds manipulative, but it's, you know, you introduce one idea that eventually leads to another. Mm -hmm. I said, well, would you rather have the government of this country make laws for you or say uh, the European Union? Because we're in the UK. And I made the case for decentralization in that case. And she said, okay, yeah, that's pretty based. I, I can see why a national government is more responsive and responsible than a supranational one. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now what about regional governments? That's mm-hmm. even closer. That's even further down. And it went all the way down to very local ones. And then, okay, why not the individual? Mm-hmm. What's that uh, Eric July quote? Take self ownership, take success all the way down to the individual. Like that is people. It's just a great idea. And it's when you, if you, it only works though if someone's a, if someone's a status and you try to say self ownership and all of success to the individual, they reject that entirely. But if you, like you said, start up top and slowly work your way down, they will follow you much better than they will. If you just throw in mind to the middle, fuck the state, fuck government, own your own self. They're like, ooh, no, that sounds dangerous. I don't, I don't want that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so on economics, how do you um as you 
how does he go about convincing on economics? And if, if he's a lefty, he's probably, you know, like you said, distributist. So that's really far left economically. What was your, besides the uh, rational self-interest of individuals and the uh, betterment of mankind to gradual wealth, did you convince of anything else economic-wise? Or did you uh, kind of plant the seed and see go from alone from there? Uh, I just, I tested the waters, saw <laughs> what, uh, you know what, uh, what got through to her. So the rational self-interest argument was the beginning of it. Mm. Uh, then, if I remember correctly, I moved on to uh, corruption. Mm. I drew on, uh, Atlas shrugged a bit on that <laughs> one. Uh, I said, okay, we can see very clearly uh, these days uh, cronyism going on. So what if we limit the power of the government to provide special favors to companies that do not have their consumers' best interests at heart and we expose those privileged companies to actual market rules so that they have to provide a good service, they have to be ethical to make money. Mm. I uh, got basically convinced her that government is actually what incentivizes uh, treachery and fraud mm. and monopolies. So I uh, got her to thinking, Okay, yeah, I can see how limiting the power of government and a free market economy can uh, benefit people and keep them free and give them good quality services. Um, mm -hmm. the, the issue here was that she very firmly believed uh, in uh, public health care, for one, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, and public education. Especially. That, that, that was going to be my next question. Uh, by public education, to me, there's nothing more evil the state does besides wars and public education. Um, and so, how was he? How does he go about like convincing of that? Was that something that he kind of came came to a conclusion on? Or was that something that he had to hammer home and like finish the start off for her to explain to her what was wrong with public education? I think both education and healthcare together were pretty much the last, uh, the last stage because I, I. Uh, gradually whittled down her view of the proper functions of government mm. uh, all the way down to minarchy. <laughs> well, relative minarchy, you know, police, army, courts, healthcare, and education, because mm. she believed that healthcare and education uh, provided free of direct charge, and I mm. specify direct charge, free of the point <laughs> of use, yeah. uh, were necessary to give people the necessary, uh, the start to keep them on even footing. Mm which I can respect. But uh, at this point, my argument was basically I, I let her keep her assumption and worked off of that. Uh, I didn't say, I didn't make the argument that maybe, maybe there shouldn't be an even start. Uh, I made the argument that the best way to have an even start is completely privatized services. Mm -hmm. Uh, I made the case of state schooling and how it was used to brainwash in particularly authoritarian regimes. Um, I drew upon our own experiences in school because uh, we used to go to school in, a, in, in Italy. We used to, uh, we lived there for a while uh, and it was a horrific experience. It was authoritarian as hell. It was ex uh, very unwelcoming of any differing opinion. Uh, it didn't. It didn't help that we were foreigners. I so imagine, I can't imagine that being a pleasant experience, being a foreigner in a public school system. That just sounds like two levels of terribleness. Yeah, uh, it was. It was rough. 
So then I uh, made the example of private schooling being more, much more catering to the individual, mm. uh, how it could be, how it wouldn't be a one size fits all and people could be put in classes that are uh, their speed, that are taught perhaps by people they listen to. Uh, with choice in curricula, in methods left up, of course, to the parents for children, mm -hmm. uh, and how capitalism, again, the profit motive, would encourage people to provide the best possible service mm -hmm. uh, at the lowest possible price, and how this would then work with completely free businesses who would, uh, who would want to sponsor uh, prospective workers to get a good education mm -hmm. to then work for them. Uh, and how it would be a whole organic system working together. Uh, Thanks, Thanks, I kind of want to ask you now, because you brought up Ayn Rand. Uh, how did you hear about Ayn Rand being uh, in the UK and going to school in, in, uh, in Italy? Like, how did you come across the ideas of Ayn Rand? Because that, that's that kind is, of curious now. That is actually a really funny story. Uh, have you ever read Watchmen? I have. Big fan. Yeah, uh, so the guy who wrote it, uh, Alan Moore, Alan I Moore. believe, you know, yeah. bad with names, but he's a raging leftist. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really, I found Rorschach fascinating. I liked mm -hmm. him. He was, uh, he was interesting. So I did a little bit of research into him and found out he was uh, based on the question, mm -hmm. uh, who was a Charlton comic character. Yeah. And that uh, Watchmen was originally supposed to feature the Charlton comic characters that uh, DC had just acquired, mm. uh, but since the plan was to kill off a lot of them, <laughs> uh, Moore wasn't allowed to do that, so he made mm. original characters based off of them. So I found out about you know, the question and how he was written by Steve Ditko um, in, uh, in the mold of an objectivist hero, mm -hmm. based on the philosophy of a woman called Ayn Rand, uh, who believed in a black and white philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. Let's learn more. And before I knew it, I was down the rabbit hole with that one. <laughs> mm. I, I got Atlas shrugged. And that, that was kind of it for old statist me. <laughs> and so, uh, people who find, I, I find, I find, I find the people who find Ayn Rand through the comic book route, you know, because there are people who've gone that route, like the similar route from Watsmen to uh, Alan Moore to Steve Ditko to Creston. Those people have a different. Uh, how do I put this? They aren't the people who people who read Ayn Rand either love her or hate her. But I find people who come to it from the comic book route end up having that view of what like, wasn't perfect, but what they did do, we enjoy. You know, I find yeah. the comic book people are much more, um, uh, what's the word? Rose colored, not rose colored glasses, uh, not black and white when it comes to Rand. They can actually look at her and be like objectively look at objectivism and say, uh, yep, yeah, there's some good things here, there's some bad things. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I owe a permanent intellectual debt to Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. She absolutely helped shape me into the man I am today, and I am forever grateful. I just mm -hmm. don't exactly agree with her on everything. Yeah, no, anyone who anyone who agrees with her on everything gets really crazy. I mean, I love the Yuan book, but anyone who agrees with Ayn Rand on everything, especially when he's so anti-religious, it's such a religious cult. You know, the code of Ayn Rand. It's very oh yeah. Those people are people are uh, crazy. In the in the Ayn Rand Institute specifically, there's mm -hmm. uh, this there seems to be this worship of her and her writings and her precise yeah. ideas. 
which I think just defeats the core purpose of her Mm. philosophy, which is fantastically ironic, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So now I got to ask you, um, Atlas, who I got a fountainhead, what does he find more enjoyable? Um, I will admit I never actually got to finish the fountainhead because I got really... Uh, I got really busy with the uh, first university before I dropped out, uh, okay. and now and now work because I work uh, I work twelve hour days and sometimes Ooh. sixty hour weeks. So long it, days, it, long days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, whenever you get whenever you get a chance to finish it, uh, shoot me a text because I'm uh, on my sec- I'm on my second read through, and so I need someone to do on a, do a, a book club on it, my podcast. So if you ever want to come back on and talk Fountainhead, to shoot me a text. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd, is, I'd be into that. Yeah, Ayn, uh, Ayn Rand. I'm um I'm Catholic, and so when I bring up Ayn Rand to objectivist people, has a Catholic, not great. When I bring up Ayn Rand to my Catholic friends, also not great. When I bring <laughs> up Ayn Rand to the anarchist friends, also not great. You know, <laughs> so because it has a Catholic anarchist who likes Rand, I'm like three things, and I, and I have long hair, so I'm definitely a hippie. And mm. so there's like three tiers of Ayn, of ways Ayn Rand would hate me. <laughs> But I can't stop reading her. She is apt- every time I read her, I'm always walking away just so impressed with everything she did. So wonderful. Mm. Yeah. So back to back to your sister. When it came to convincing her of um, you said you said she's basically an cap at this point. Yeah. What was the final straw? Was the final straw you said public schools and uh, healthcare, or was there like anything after that, like police or anything? What was the final straw you had to? Uh, convince her of or as he convinced herself of so i got through to her most of the way on uh, healthcare and education mm-hmm. but she was still a, a bit iffy on it mm-hmm. uh the final straw funnily enough uh was a reddit argument <laughs> uh because <laughs> i know right reddit that's <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> funny yeah. Yes, uh, Reddit. Actually, doing something productive on Reddit. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, she was arguing with uh, I think it was a uh, some kind of uh, uh, some variation of communist mm. who was uh, who was actually uh, quite a nice guy and quite open. Mm. Uh, and uh, she was arguing for minarchy, basically minarchist capitalism, and how it would. Uh, best support everyone's individual rights and needs uh, and the the communist was arguing that capitalism would inevitably corrupt the government to work to its own ends and uh, manipulate the market manipulate the people and basically end up in a uh, political corporatocracy mm-hmm. so at the end of that uh, my sister said you know what actually you're right the the state and capitalism cannot coexist. We need to get rid of the state. <laughs> based that is a based way to confront that objection. Just yeah. to double it down and go, you're right. Forget the state. We just need to market. Based that yeah. is. Oh, that's beautiful. The fact that a yeah. communist led us to end. The communist was the final straw on the end cap. Is this uh, absolutely beautiful? And I love that. That was fun to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... Uh, I, I will admit, I did actually loudly celebrate saying, yes, finally. Oh, that is, that is funny. When you, were along, when you were talking to her about it, 
um, I know I maybe I don't know how it is with uh, your family or not. But I know family here and my family and family in America. When we're arguing with politics, it's very easy for us to get stuck in that topic. And so if you bring it up over dinner, the rest of the night, it's that kind of discussion because no one wants to drop it. Uh, do you have that similar problem with your family or families in the UK? Or is that more or less just an American thing? Uh, I had a bit of that with my sister because we do, uh, when we disagree, we debate quite vigorously. Mm. Uh, with the rest of the family, not so much because uh, we usually uh my dad is away is out of the country to work for uh two weeks at a time so uh we only really get together for a weekend every other week so uh he'd uh, so if we get into something heated he'd say but let's not argue let's just enjoy our family time mm. and usually it would end up, yeah Good man. yeah uh i did learn over time that yeah, there's more important things to do mm-hmm. than argue, especially when you're with your family. Mm. I mean, he just spent two weeks breaking his back working to provide for us. The least mm-hmm. I can do is shut up about my politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is good. I, I honestly, it was more like that uh, in American American families because you know, like an idiot at Thanksgiving last year, I cracked a political joke. You know, not even thinking anything of it. Like, um, what happened was my one of my family members, who's a little racist, was saying huh. things like, oh, we should just send all the black people who are sugs to the Middle East. They ain't no dwarf they're going to put up with that. And I was like, what? What is, what is this? I, was like, I, was like, I made the joke that, um, yeah, they can't kill people here. They got to go kill children over there. <laughs> um, which just sparked the entire war, anti-war debate, which then led into every other conversation for the entire day. Oh, Christ. Yeah, I had I had fun with it because I am a masochist and like to troll people. Uh, but my my immediate family did not have fun with it. They hated it. Uh, um, so when you're having these kind of discussions, uh, what would you say is a good when you're talking to your sister? What would be a what was a a tactic that can be used to cut the conversation at an end? Because if you're talking to someone and you're arguing about something, it gets more and more heated. You're gonna have the Ayn Rand Rothbard thing, where it's like even if they're right, they won't accept that they're right because they've been arguing about it too long now. So what would you say is a good tactic or uh, maneuver someone could make to cut the conversation over and not end up in this Rand Rothbard situation? Um, basically, I'd say build bridges. Uh, <laughs> Uh, accept accept that they disagree and uh, uh, try to kind of like leave a bookmark in that conversation say we could revisit this at a later date because I think I can still bring you over Uh, well we are running out of time do you have anything else you want to add or anything else you want to say uh, yeah, uh, another, uh, my mother, I think, is an example of someone who I, I haven't brought over to, you know, full-on libertarianism, mm-hmm. but I've, I've helped her question the omnipotence of the state and mm-hmm. of, and of the mob, mm-hmm. uh, especially because she's, uh, she's Russian. She was young during the time of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So I drew the, uh, as Leonard Peikoff called it, the, uh, the ominous parallels mm-hmm. and uh, said 
you know, this is this is starting to look like the Soviet Union. The government is telling you what you can say, when you can say it. Uh, free speech is actually a very important in with uh, was a very important way in with my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the first the first uh, free speech argument that I brought over to my side on is hate speech. She said, mm-hmm. "I support hate speech. Uh, I support free speech, just not hate speech." Mm-hmm. And I said but hate speech is necessarily a part of free speech. Mm-hmm. If people have the right to speak, they have the right to speak horrible things. They're not free from social consequences, but they have the right to say them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I le- with that, I led into the shutting down of non-popular alternative opinions, be they libertarian, conservative, or what. Mm-hmm. So I just made her you know, stop and think that maybe someone should not be deciding what is and isn't acceptable discourse for everyone else, uh, which was a big help and led into other discussions about the limits and powers of government. Very then smart. I, then Very I drove smart. her crazy with the gold standard. <laughs> uh, gold standard. Okay, well, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything? Oh, I forgot I wanted to say. Um, no, the only luck I've had with uh, my like any way my, my family, I want to move is that all helpful for Christians uh, we're talking about is natural rights, God-given rights. You know, of every at least in America we have a, we're very tied to our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution of uh, unalienable God-given rights. And when you say God-given rights, and they to the Christians they believe there's a gift from God, and if the government's going to stand in a way of in way of God's gift, then that could be that looks that's pretty that looks pretty bad. You know, you're trying to stand in a way of God's gift to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so with Christians, the best tactic to prove is to so, hey, God wants to give you something, and these assholes in government are trying to stop you from getting it. Why does that make them? Yeah, I think it, it helps to uh, show people how their own beliefs are mm-hmm. incompatible with authoritarianism yeah. and how libertarianism can end up helping them achieve what they want to mm-hmm. uh, at no cost to anyone else. I've done that with some uh, trad cons on Twitter. I've, I've, I've got them talking about the idea of a narco traditionalism. Yeah, pretty based. Traditionalist yeah. uh, covenants. That sounds pretty bad. Honestly, if like, I thought it'd be cool, but then they also sound like that Matt Erickson King Pill dude. And I'm like, okay, what's well, what's progress? Huh. <laughs> um, anyway, well, we run out of time. Do you have anything you want to plug? Do you want to plug your Twitter? Do you want to, uh, you know, anything like that? Oh, my Twitter is uh, Gold Guy. My handle is. Hold up, just bring up my phone. Sorry, uh, my <laughs> handle is at goldguy zero four zero seven five nine one two, which was randomly generated, and I just <laughs> went with it because I didn't think I'd be on Twitter much. I think a lot of people like that when they get those randomly generated numbers, they're like, "I'm just gonna check on my family." And a year later, they posted photo memes about tearing out the state. And it's like, oh, you didn't, you, you got sucked in that rabbit hole of, of Twitter nonsense. That is, is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, follow the people I follow because they're all pretty based and no libertarian under 1K. Beautiful. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. I've, uh, I'm Caleb. This is the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Uh, go read some books and have a, uh, have a good weekend.